think about journey, we think about the journey of our own life. We think about how oftentimes life is described as a journey. And some of us, you know, we are, at least in terms of our age, we're just starting on our journey, at least in the, in, we're moving into our prime. Other, others of us were maybe more in the middle of our lives. Other of us may be f- further along down the road. And, and, and you know what? The thing about this journey of life is we really never really know when it, and it ends on this side of eternity. We really don't know that. We make a lot of assumptions about life, and, and youthfulness and youth in particular makes more assumptions than all. And uh, a lot of us forget that, you know, we are limited. We are finite. And we don't really know the length of our days. So the Lord Jesus challenged us to think about how we live, how we seek to implement the things he taught us into our lives, and what we're going to leave behind. So thinking about life as a journey, where we are. Some of us might be in a part of the journey where it's, it's, we're optimistic. We're feeling good about things. We're looking down the road, and it looks pretty good. Others of us, it's, we're in the middle of a very challenging season in our journey, and it's hard. Some of us are in a transition place, and uh, you know we're, we're not sure what our next steps are. Some of us have relational transition taking place, and our journey is, is affected by things that are out of our control at some level. And, and certainly that has to do with you know, a lot of stuff that's happening in our world and in our own economy. And just life in general has a way of reminding us we're not in control. So this, this idea of journey, lessons for the journey, lessons for life, but also this idea of journey of our faith. Because anybody who makes a decision to follow Jesus, at a certain point, we are, we are deciding to embark on a learning journey with the Lord. And somewhere along the way, our life journey and our faith journey intersect, and they become one and the same, and yet they're distinct, but they're the same. And so we're talking about how we move forward, both with the Lord and our relationship with God, and then also just in terms of how we live our life and, and the, way, the way we're making our choices and decisions. So we're going to look back in time at uh, the nation of Israel, who, as soon as they were liberated out of Egypt, embarked upon their own journey. And their journey took them through the Red Sea, and we've been you know, walking with them. And it, and it took them through this, what we call this early period of the wilderness journey, where they are led to, through the Red Sea to the Sinai. Uh, that's where the Ten Commandments come. And, and then they're brought to the precipice of the Promised Land. And uh, at the precipice of the Promised Land, they, they make a decision. The decision is that they don't want to go in. They're afraid. And as a result, they have a much longer wilderness journey that an entire generation lives and dies, essentially, in, in that wilderness journey of 40 years. But this is the early one. This is the one leading up to that moment. And it was not until their descendants come that they ultimately enter into the promised land. I say all that because we're looking at this early peace. So this idea of being liberated from Egypt is fresh on our minds. And so when we come to Exodus 17, and I want to sit with this, I want us to think about it. I think it has a lot to teach us and also to apply. We're kind of picking up where we left off, because last week we talked about how God provided them bread and fed them in a supernatural, amazing way. In Exodus 17, it says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. Don't confuse this word sin with our word that we typically use and refer to here from a biblical context that means to miss the mark or to do what is wrong in God's eyes. That's not what we're talking about. Sin here is a derivative of the larger word Sinai. You can still see today the Sinai wilderness. They were in the wilderness and it says, according to the commandment of the Lord, they camped in Rephidim, but there was, we're told another important piece of data, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, when they started their journey, they left with water. Water was essential for their survival. We all know that. Water is more important even than food. 
we can live longer without food than we can without water. We need water. We particularly need water when you're in a wilderness, when it's hot, when the climate is scorching and pretty devastating. Uh, they were uh, accustomed to having, even in these early stages of their wilderness journey, having Moses lead them to watering places. We talked about these oases, these places where water was accessible and available. And when they would go to these places, they would stock up with water and it would carry them along the way. But now they were running out of water. And it didn't look like there was going to be any water. There was nothing that they could see. It, they, were want, they were going on for a little while now. And they, they begin to murmur that we're in trouble. We don't have any water. and We're going to die. And, it's, and, and we're, we're in this place because of Moses. Moses has led us here. And he seems to have led us here without really thinking through our situation. And that's what we're, we're brought to verse number two. It says, therefore... The people contended with Moses, and they said, Give us water that we may drink. And so Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? I mean, why are you so quick to turn um, on on me? Why are you so quick to forget what God has just done? Why are you so angry? Why are you so hostile? I mean, the word for contend is is not just like they complained. It implies that they were were angry, and there was an element of hostility. This was not like a passive, hey, Moses, when you get a chance, you think you can find us some water, you know? This was, what are you doing? You're trying to get us all killed? Get us some water. We need that water. We're going to die. You've let us, and then it it starts, you know, it just, it's like it's the same old story here. It's an assumption of obligation. Part of this is connected to their past. And we, we cannot read what happens to, to Israel coming out of Egypt without at least taking into account some of their past. I mean, many of us are aware of this, but they, they, were, they were an enslaved people in Egypt. They had, they had entered into a social contract not by their own choice. They had, they had essentially been given um, uh, n- no real freedom beyond within certain confines. They were, they, they were a labor force, but at the same token, uh, as awful as that was, they were given certain provisions. And so Pharaoh... Pharaoh had an understanding with the children of Israel. Now, the children of Israel, just stay with me on this, they carried that mentality even into their relationship with, with God and Moses. There was this kind of like, we've entered into a contract with you. Here's the deal, Moses. We follow because you say this is what God is saying, and then your responsibility is take care of us. So get it? We do this. You take care of us. We want our water. Where's our water? We want our water now. We want to live. We need that water it's very important that you give us that water or else we're going to kill you. And that's pretty much what they say. You look at it. It says this. It says, and the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses. And they said, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? Now, and, and our children, you just brought us here to die. That's what you've done. And it says that Moses cried out to the Lord, you know, Lord, what am I going to do? They're about to kill me. They're about to stone me. Now, here's the thing. He probably saw somebody walking over the pit saying, yeah, we're going to take care of that Moses. And they were already picking up a rock, getting ready to take care of him. And Moses is scared. He's, he's going, What's, what are you doing? They, they so quickly escalated this thing. It's amazing. Because you know why? They're, and there's a lot to learn here. As soon as the heat was applied, they dropped back into a pattern that was connected to their past way of being. And they moved into a groove. And sometimes you and I, when the pressure is applied, in in their case, they move back into a destructive point of behavior that was just what they had done. And so their first gut reaction is, it's your fault. You did this. Why aren't you taking care of us? 
And, and in a lot of times, you and I find ourselves, when the pressure is on, there is a very real tendency on our part to fall back into slotted patterns of our past. Ways of responding to things, ways of reacting. We say things, we do things, we fall back into destructive behavior, addictive behavior. We get ourselves into, because when the heat is on, instead of, see, and God, you can see, you're going to watch what's going to happen here. God's going to try to be working with his people. He's, he's trying to say, look, you need to learn how to trust me. You, he's going to say, you've you got to trust God when, when things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go. Don't just turn and fall back in the way. And, and it makes no, and for Moses, he's going, this makes no sense. Look, if you think I wanted to do this, I can hear him saying this, right? I didn't even want, I, it's not even my idea to do this. I didn't want to be here in the first place. I, I did this, and think about it. He was the reluctant deliverer, wasn't he? I mean, when he, think about what happened when he was before the burning bush. I mean, what does he say to God? God, I don't want to go. We, we talked about this last fall. And he's saying, Lord, you know what? I, I, I did that already. I, they didn't like me. They didn't want me the first time. Why are they going to listen to me this next time? You know what? Find somebody else. I'm old. I'm, I have other things in my life. I want to end my life differently than what your vision is for it right now. I have no interest in going back to Egypt. I have no interest in, in, in confronting Pharaoh. I have no interest in trying to liberate your people. Find somebody else. And do this whole process of exchange, right? God finally says, no, Moses, you need to go. You need to do this. And Moses responds. Now Moses is there, and I, they're like accusing him. And he's going, look, I didn't even want to do this in the first place. It wasn't even my idea. I don't even want, why am I even here? You know, this is not about power. This is about, I tried to do what God's asked me to do. Have you noticed you, you're free? Have you noticed that, that God did some pretty amazing things? Like opened up a pathway? Have you noticed lately that you, we got this bread? Come on. Has God not shown up in amazing ways? Why are you so quick to drop back in a pattern of behavior that is, is so ungrateful? And not just, it's not just ungrateful. It's hostile. It's like you're making this a transaction and an obligation. You're, why are you doing this? You know, and that tendency to just drop back into a way, our patterns of our past. The patterns of our past. When things come at us, we get mad, we get afraid, Usually those two things are intertwined. And we do things that are characteristic of a past that God wants us to leave behind. He's trying to teach us to see our world and to relate to our lives differently than what we've learned. Not out of the hurt of our past, you see, but out of the promise of our future in Christ and in this present scenario that they found themselves in. Now, looking at this passage, what does it say happens next? It says in verse 4, it says, So Moses cries out to the Lord, and he says, What am I going to do, Lord, with these people? They, they want to kill me. They want to stone me. They're already thinking. They're already talking about it. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand that rod, your rod, the, the same rod that you struck the river with. He's referring to the river of the Nile in the first plague in Egypt. By the way, that was the same rod that when Moses, he had selected. It was a rod that he was very used to. It was a, probably a very hard piece of wood that was now actually shaped to even fit him. It was something that he had used. Remember, we talked about it as an extension of his own arm. A shepherd in Sinai would have had a rod like that, a staff, that they were so comfortable with. Not only was it a weapon for them as a defense, but it was also something that they could use for balance in, in a difficult terrain. It was something that Moses was accustomed to utilizing in very real ways. And it was, it was like, it was, import, it, was a, it was important. And God had used that rod 
and had shown Moses this very thing that you rely on. Remember, he said, throw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Pick it up, and it was a rod again. I mean, God had, had taught Moses to trust that there were certain things that he would do at times through that rod. That was, in many ways, an extension of who he was. And so God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that rod that you're so used to, the same rod that you used before to strike the river, and I want you to take it. I want you to take the elders with you. I want you to go up to this, this mountain called, this is more of a... a uh, a, a rock on the Mount of Horeb. It says here, and you shall, I want you to stand before there on that rock, and then I want you to strike the rock. I want you to strike the rock, and then it says that when you do this, what's going to happen? He says, and water's going to come out of that rock. Perhaps there was already water there, just God knew where the water was. It seems that was the case. But the fact of the matter is, it says that Moses, that the people, he says, you, str- you strike the rock, the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, I've tried to envision that moment in my mind's eye, and I see Moses with his staff going up, and he says, the Lord has said, I'm to smite the rock, you know, strike this rock. And, and I, whether he, you know, he took it with just the one hand and smote it and hit it, and, or whether it was like a, you know, I don't know. I, know. I don't think it was like that. I don't think it was a little tap. It says he struck the rock. And when God says strike the rock, a tap, won't, a tap won't do. Something about the way we approach something, when the Lord has put it in our heart to do it, do it. Right? There's something about it. And when the Lord says, when you strike the rock, strike the rock. And when you strike that rock, water will flow. And, I, and I, I, in my mind's eye, I, I don't know if it started out with this, like when he hits it, boom, it bursts out of there. Or did it start out with just like a little bit of a trickle and all of a sudden, you just see the kind of the rock just kind of cracking, and then out of the crack comes a little bit of a drip. Then out of that drip starts to come a little bit more, and it starts to crumble. And then, then there's a flow of water, and the people are amazed. It's flowing down the mountain and into the val- in, down the hill into the, into the desert itself. I mean, it's like a, it says it was a river flowing out of the rock. I mean, my, my mind's eye, I think back about times when I've gone to places. You know, I, periodically, I, as some of you know, I love to go down, to, I love to go to Yosemite and when I get a chance. And, I, there's something about it that's beautiful to me. It's like a cathedral made by the hands of God, as, as John Muir said. It's the manuscript of God. And when I see it, there's sometimes beauty that is just, um, you know, if you live in San Francisco, you owe it to yourself to make a journey to Yosemite at some time in your life because it's so beautiful. And it's a beautiful place to see. And, and, you're, and, and you know what? I've been there to the, to the Hetch Hetchy, which is the kind of the northwest part of the park. And you go in there, you, Sonora, Big Oaks Flat, you go to Hetch Hetchy, which is where we get our water from, that dam. They've dammed up the valley there, and that's a point of controversy. I'm saying all that to say this, all right, <laughs> that the, I remember the first time I ever saw Hetch Hetchy, and I, I thought, wow, this is really pretty. And, and you, have to, you get to walk across the, the dam. You can walk across. It's an old structure, pretty impressive uh, piece of work that was done there. And I remember looking, you can see the water to, to the right when you're walking across, and it fills the valley. But then I remember looking over the edge, because you've got to go past that to get ultimately to the trail. And I remember looking over the edge, and they had just opened up the water. And it was, I, I still, the vision, I still see it. First time I ever saw it, it was like just bursting out, this, this pipe of water flying into the, into, the, into the mountain and down. And it was, it was just a burst of water. And in my mind's eye, I thought, that's what it must have been like when Moses smote the rock, right? That water just gushed right out of there and it began to flow down like a river in the wilderness, the Bible says. Now, one of the most amazing things about this is that the Bible, other writers in the Bible often refer back to this incident in different ways. Look, the smitten rock is a very important little piece 
I'm gonna, let's look, look at with me at 1 Corinthians 10. I'll just show you what we're talking about here. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing, he's writing to new believers, some of whom are Jewish believers in Christ and others who are Gentile believers in Christ. For the Jewish believers in Christ, this would have been their physical ancestors and spiritual ancestors. For the Jew, Gentile believers, it would have simply been their spiritual ancestors. But he refers back to the children of Israel when they first leave Egypt. Look what he says. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness a long time ago. It's what we just read. He says, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. That's referring to the Red Sea moment. He says, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. So Paul says this thing is that initially, what is he talking about? He's saying, look, they, they moved into a new point of identity. Their new identity was when they left Egypt, and then they moved, followed the Lord in, through the cloud, and then moved through the Red Sea, and that water parted. Paul says, and as they followed Moses who was a representative of God. In reality, he says, they were beginning a new life as a new people in a new economy. And as they made their way through these waters, through that wall of water, he says it was like a baptism under the leadership of Moses. He, he says in the same way that we in the New Testament follow Jesus and are baptized. That's why a lot of times, like tonight, we're having a baptism. Is that for, for, for someone who are beginning to make a step in wanting to follow the Lord more faithfully and obediently in the waters of baptism, when we talk about water baptism, we talk about identifying ourselves with the death and the burial and then the resurrection of Christ. There is this sense of going down into newness of life as we identify ourselves with the leadership of Jesus in our lives. And so it has meaning. Paul's connecting the two. Look what he says. He says, and all of them ate the same spiritual food. That is the manna. We talked about that bread from heaven. And then he says, and all of them drank that same spiritual water. That is the water we just read about here in Exodus 17. And he says, look, and then he says something like, look at this. He says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. What does that mean? He's talking about, it would seem, the water that came out of the rock, that when it came down the, the, the mountain and began to flow, because remember, we don't know how long it flowed for, but it flowed and it created a, a river in the wilderness. And as they traveled, that water, we don't know how, but it was flowing with them. They traveled with the water. And then Paul says, and symbolically, he, and he gets big here, he says, and symbolically, he says, I tell you, that spiritual, that rock was Christ. And now that connects us immediately. And think about it. And then people say, well, when Moses smote the rock, that's when the water and life came. It reminded us of a passage in Isaiah 700-some years before Christ. Um, even came talking about Messiah. The prophet says this. Just, just can see the connection here. Look what he says. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our, our sorrows, and we esteem him what? Stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That's the cross. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. He did it for us and for our peace with God. And it says, And by his stripes we are healed. But the idea of the smitten Christ, the idea of the broken Christ, out of whom comes life, connecting to the smitten rock that Paul says, that's Christ, is a type of Christ, smitten, and out of which came the flow of water. It's pretty cool. And you look at the interaction and the interplay, and you realize how integrated the New and the Old Testament really is. Now, having said all of that, go back to verse 7 real quick, and it says, he called this place, Moses did this, he called this the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Why? Massah, by the way, means test or temptation. Meribah means argument or contention. He names these places temptation and contention. 
because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, "The Lord is 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 the Lord among us or not?" Um, basically, it was an implication of doubt. It was an assertion of doubt on their part that God really meant for their well-being. And so, so Moses says, "I'm naming this place contention and temptation because because it has been a place that has shown at some level." Are, uh, this tendency of, of, of my people to not trust God and, and to, to not assume his goodness, but to assume somehow that he is, he is not with them or forsake or to forget how quickly, how faithful God has been. And that's what he calls the name of that place. Now, for us in the minutes that we have left, I want to put a couple of things out there that, I, that struck me, and I'm hoping that they will also help us in some way here as we sit with what we've just looked at. One of, one of the first key lessons in terms of just applying this to the Christian life, now stay with me on this, has to do with cultivating what, what older Christians and, uh, frequently refer to as the habit of faith. And that we are to cultivate a habit of faith. Let me explain what I'm trying to suggest. The, the, the habit of faith is a trained response that we have that, that when things are not going well, instead of doubting a knee-jerk response to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God. On the contrary, there is a trained response that we have allowed into our life that says, I trust you, the Lord, even in the middle of this very difficult place. So that my tendency as time goes on is to have my first reaction to be, not, Lord, where are you, but, Lord, how faithful you have been to me. Therefore, I trust you. It is an exercise of a habit of faith. It's something that becomes a part of how we approach life. And because life will deal us things. And at the same time, when, when the desert sun is beating on us and our mouth is dry and we are angry and irritated and upset and wondering where our provision is coming from, in that place when the temptation is to fall back into destructive places, destructive patterns, say things we shouldn't say, do things we, that will not help at all, blame people. Your fault. That does nothing to solve the situation. Instead, we are given a reminder to exercise our faith and trust in God in the places. It's easy to look. It's easy to, to, to be thankful with the Lord when things are going great. I, I, thank you, Lord. But it's a lot harder to say that when things are not going well, when the prayer isn't being answered, when the person isn't coming around, when the water isn't flowing, when we're thirsty and waiting and God doesn't seem to be doing, and what comes out of us there, right there. Part of what we say, part of our goal is for all of us to grow in our maturity as a follower of the Lord. Listen to me. I don't mean mature. I'm not saying... Or that we're walking around proud or self. I'm not talking about pride, self-righteousness. I'm mature. You know, no, I'm not. That's not what I am talking about. Is a kind of of growth in our lives, spiritually speaking, that really shows up when we experience adversity or disappointment, and perhaps even hurt. That instead of responding out of patterns of our past life that have characterized maybe even earlier periods in our Christian life. We begin to grow past things so that what would have stumbled us before no longer, no longer causes us to react the way that we would have reacted in the past. And we see the growth of the grace of God in our lives so that the very words that we speak start to sound more like what, it's not perfect, but more like Jesus in certain ways. That, and look, this is a lifetime process. I don't, none of us ever get there completely, but we are invited to grow in this habit of faith. Secondly, 
it, it, it reminded me of another passage of Scripture. Again, it'll be the last portion of Scripture we look at, but it's an amazing connect that I, I felt like we had to look at. Again, I'm saying, look at all the way the Bible's related. Exodus, Corinthians, New Testament. The, and then we talked about Isaiah, the prophet. Now look at Psalm 105, because it has a key connection here. This will be the last piece here. It says, they asked for meat. It's talking about Israel. He says, they asked for meat. He sent them quail. He satisfied their hunger with manna. It was that bread from heaven. We talked about it. And then here's the incident. He refers back to the incident we just read in Exodus 17. And he split open a rock. And you know what? Water gushed out. And it formed a river through this dry wasteland. And it says that, for he remembered his sacred promise to his servant Abraham. He brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. But that, that 41st verse, look at it. His split open a rock and water gushed out to form a river through the dry wasteland. I was reminded, and this is the second thing, I just want us to sit with this. Because it, it, I, I felt like, Lord, that's a word for some of us. That you, you really want to teach us something here. That for some of us, this whole idea of, of, of just sort of what God can do with even the hardest of rocks in our lives. That even the hardest rock in our life can be broken. There's something about this. There's something about the difficult places of life when we really, these, these, these questioning places, when it's really hard and we don't know where the deliverance is going to come from. We need breakthrough. So I'm trying to say, look, zero in on that for a moment. That he, it, it gushed out of the rock. I mean, even the rocky places where we need that breakthrough. It might be a situation we're in. It might have to do with someone that, that I mean, we just want to see them get better. Um, it might have to do with something in our own life that comes back up again. And it's like a hard thing that we need. Some of us have gotten hard. Some of us who've been following the Lord. The, one of the dangers in following the Lord for a while, like any good relationship, over time we can start to take what, what used to make us once leap for joy and smile and grateful can become something we start to take for granted. And it's, it's true that we need to guard against taking people in our lives for granted, and it's also true that we need to be careful about taking our relationship with the Lord for granted. And I'm talking really for those who've been following him for a while. We can lose what the Bible calls our first love for God, where what used to be a very tender place where things grew well becomes hard ground, and we're, we, we're not getting touched anymore. We're not, our heart is not soft before the Lord anymore. It's like the ground's gotten fallow, hard. You know what a fallow ground is? It's like the ground that hasn't had rain for a long time, and it's all cracked. You've seen it. The top of the dirt, it's, it's, it's cracked. It's so dry. It's cracked all over the place. It just needs, like a plant, that, that's, it's lost a lot of its, its limp. It's, 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 but it's not dead, but it's just, it's just not alive. And, and sometimes just pouring water uh, onto a plant, and then a day or two later, it's like, you know, back again. It's alive again. Just needed a little bit of, that's the Lord's spirit in our lives. This is, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, is that what we really, it reminds us of is that he has water for us, that there is living water that can flow to us even in, and I love this, even in the driest of places. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, God, for that. Because there's some places, you know what, by the way, when I think of the, the water flowing and traveling with them, and they watch, they can see it, it's like they're walking and the water is flowing. It's, the it's like the great, I think of the water, I think of the grace of God. Sometimes, Lord, I just need a cup of, I need your grace in this time. In this dry place, I just need, I just need you to come into my heart. I need you to just bring life again to some things that are dead. I'm getting cynical. I'm getting apathetic. I'm, 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 bl I'm blaming. I've got a wrong way of approaching. I'm drifting, Lord. I'm drifting. Give me the gift of a soft heart, Lord. For, touch me. Um, Jesus wept. You know, let me feel in you again. 
a heart that's soft. That's a gift from the Lord. By the way, that's sometimes why, I, you didn't hear me, sometimes why in my own life with the Lord, some of the times where I've been most appreciative on the back of it has been when, I've, when I have failed the Lord or disappointed him. Because isn't that place of, of feeling like I failed you, Lord, that I, remind, I am reminded of his grace and I drink that grace in like it were a cup of water and my heart is refreshed again with gratitude to God as he takes that which was not good and brings life from it. That's the grace of God. You know, there was a woman that Jesus was talking to. It's in the fourth chapter of John, and he says she was talking, it was a Samaritan woman, and she says, what are you doing talking to me? And Jesus says, oh, if you knew what I could do for you, you'd, you'd want to ask me for some water here. He had asked her for some water. And Jesus, he says, what are you talking about? And Jesus ends up saying, you know what? If, he says, the water, if you drink the water that you're pulling up right now, you're going to get thirsty again. You have to keep doing that all the time. He says, but if you knew the water that I could give you, I can give you water that if you drink of it, guess what? You'll never thirst again. In fact, it will not only that, it will be to you a fountain of water, living water springing out of your life. She says, oh, that's, give me that water. I, I'd love to have that water. Give me that water that I may never have to, you mean I don't have to come back here again? And Jesus says, why don't you go ahead and get your husband? She says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, ah, you're right, you don't. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. And she says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And it was like, wow. And Jesus engaged us. You know what? By the time it was done, and he didn't say it. He was saying that because, you know, by the time she becomes a follower of Jesus. And she becomes this amazing uh, a person fully alive for, for a love for Jesus. She has such an effect. You can read it in John 4. She affects so many people because she took a cup of the water and drank it down. And all of a sudden, things came alive in her. I love that. I love this idea of the Lord taking our lives, working with us, shaping us, I mean, moving in us. And by the way, let me just say, and I'll just say it's real quick in passing. I think the Samaritan woman is a perfect model for our, for our culture because she was trying to find, even in that ancient day, value in people and in men in particular. And the Lord was saying, whatever it is you're looking for, at the end of the day, it's found with God and I've got something to give you. And if you drink this, it will satisfy that deepest thing inside of you. Whatever it is that's hurting in there, I can get to it. I love that. And it's true for us too. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right. They will be filled, Jesus said. There's a song that we close with. It's called, It's Yours. It's talking about our life. And in that song, there's this, okay, just stay with me on this. There's this little piece of it. It's the bridge. It says, you'll hear it. When you get to it, just think for a moment. Stop, not rush through this moment. It'll say, I'm yours, I'm yours. And it gets to this place where it says, mold me, mold me and make me. There's this idea of, of how in God's ways, by, by yielding to him, he, we give him the ability to do new things in our lives. When we get to that place in the song, just kind of be thinking about what we've been sharing because God wants to keep working in our lives, refreshing the dead places that need to come back to life renewing with freshness uh, new possibilities. Let me, let me just pray, and then we'll have our time of giving in a closing song. But Lord, I, I thank you so much for what we've already, we, we really shared this time together with you and your word, and I love your word. I think your word is, is um, it's a living stream. It's, it's a stream of life. You taught us, you said, your prophet, so it's one of the, one of the prophets said, that the, is not my word like the hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Lord, the rock can be broken even with your, the, the word, 
Um, your, the life of your word brings forth life to us. And I, and I pray that your, your words and your spirit and your presence would live in our lives. I pray that there would be real, real change in us. Uh, I do. That as the years go by, there would come the evidence of having been with Jesus. That more and more of that evidence would show up, not in a self-righteous way, but in a way that is genuine and honest and real, in a way that produces life, that we would become conduits of that living water, that we too would become participants in this kingdom melody, that, are, that are, the song that we sing would not be like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, when are you going to provide for me, provide for me, provide for me, but it would be one of, Lord, how grateful I am for you, how much I love you, how blessed I am to know you, Keep working in my life. Change me. Teach me things. Help me to learn. Help me to grow. Help me to get past things. Lord, let go of things. Move forward with you on this journey of life. Lord, we want to be open. We pray for this. Bless our, our closing time here. Beautiful day, but we're right here with you. And we ask that you would bless not only our time of giving, but this closing song, which is in its own way a, a closing prayer that we can all engage together. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.